On June 17, 1966, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, two men walked into a little roadside bar and grill in the town of Patterson, New Jersey, called Lafayette Bar, and they shot three people to death. Two men were arrested. One was named Hurricane Carter. Maybe you know him as Reuben Hurricane Carter. He was a celebrated boxer, a young black upcoming boxer. Uh, he was a superstar in the making. While he and his black friend were eventually arrested for this crime, they were falsely accused and then wrongly convicted in a highly publicized and racially divisive trial. The fiercely outspoken young boxer always maintained his innocence long after he went to prison. He became sort of his own jailhouse lawyer of sorts and worked to prove his innocence for the next nearly 20 years. Get this, 19 years into his prison sentence, 19 years into his prison sentence, there was some new evidence that finally came to light. And his conviction was overturned and he was set free. But not before he lost the prime of his life from the ages of 29 to 50, he, he lost his wife, his career, and missed seeing his own children grow up. And friends, when you hear or you read a real-life story like that, it just makes you angry. A real-life story about injustice like that. Doesn't it just anger you? Doesn't it do something that you go, what in the world? How does this happen in our world today? Friends, I, I don't know about you, but I hate injustice. I hate racism. I hate age discrimination. I, I hate the fact that, that there are women and children sold into sex slavery in our, in our world. I hate injustice. I, I hate the fact that, that there are children who, who contract cancer and die before they can ever really see life. I hate the fact that some people are born blind, some people are born deaf. Friends, I, I hate it in our world that, that there are women and children who are abused emotionally and even physically within their own families. I hate injustice. I don't know about you, but I hate it. I hate it when someone works their entire life to, to, to accumulate something, to buy something. They work very hard and they go out and purchase it only to have somebody else steal it and take it away from them. I hate the fact that this week in Oregon, a lunatic walks into a college campus and he begins shooting people for no reason at all, killing nine innocent people. And I hate the fact that in our world today, there is a group called ISIS that is on a rampage across the Middle East where they have brutalized people for not being exactly like them. And when you hear of these kinds of injustices in our world, it just makes you shake your head and it gets you angry. It gets you fired up inside. At least it does me. And I'll tell you what else angers me. What else I, I don't get. What I hate. And that is how... Seemingly, God is silent during many of, many of the injustices that we see in our world. I hate the fact that I don't understand completely what God is doing in the middle of all of these injustices. Are you with me? Do you ever feel that way? When you look around the world, you go, where is God in the middle of all the pain and all the hurt? 
Well, we've been in this little series called Old School, and, and if you've been around Metro, you know it's a series where we started in the beginning part of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and we have just been kind of traveling through it, and, and we've been trying to find the story of God, to discover the story of God, and where we fit in it, and how we can learn from it, and what God expects from us and through us while we occupy space on this planet. And if you've been around Metro, you know that this is a series that we kind of drop in and drop out of, right? We, we, we try to take a little bit of every year and we try to spend some time in what we call our old school, Old Testament material. And, and today, we're in the middle of the book of Ecclesiastes. We started a few weeks back and who's been here for part of this series so far? Book of Ecclesiastes? I pray to God that it has been challenging and encouraging to you. Has it been challenging? I mean, we've been talking about this idea... We've been talking about this idea that, that we, we struggle to find soul fulfillment in this world. We, we struggle to find peace in this world. We, we, tr- we, we struggle to find acceptance and, and satisfaction in this world. And, and this book, if you remember, we talked about it. it. It's an ancient book. It's one of the oldest pieces of human literature that we have. And it was written by a man named Solomon. He was, he was son of King David. He was king over all of Israel. And God used this man to pen these words to us. And we still read these words today, 3,000 plus years later. It's an incredible thing, right? And and in this book, um, Solomon is looking at the back half of his life. He's literally lived most of his life and he's looking backwards. And, And one of the things that we realize when we look at the life of Solomon is that Solomon is a man who has changed over his lifetime, right? Because when he first started his kingship, he was doing it right. He was a man who fiercely was running after God. He, he tried to please God with his whole heart, his whole soul, and God blessed him in incredible ways. And you remember some of the backstory? Um, Solomon was successful beyond his wildest dreams. God gave him blessing after blessing in incredible ways. And, and his kingdom was prosperous. His people were prosperous. They lived at peace. The people that he ruled over loved him. And God had cared for him in every single way. And, and what was really amazing about it, if you look at the first half of Samuel, or Solomon's life, you'll, you'll see that Solomon, listen friends, Solomon had a deep satisfaction with his life because of his relationship with his God, because he knew his creator, and he tried his hardest to follow the leadership of his creator. But as you probably remember the story, it began to change for Solomon, Right? He, he got off track and, and things started to go downhill quick in his life. Something changed. Listen, friends, something changed inside Solomon. And he started to look to other places and to other things for his soul satisfaction. Something moved inside of him. And he le- left the leadership of God in his life. And, and he would tell you in his own words, you, if you've read the book, if you, if you were here for the last couple of weeks, he said, all these things that I've looked for, to find soul satisfaction in. He says, I've, I've tried everything. And I mean, if you look at this book, the dude tried everything to fill up his soul. But at the end, he said, even after trying all that this world has to offer, what did he say? It was all meaningless. Say it with me, meaningless. He said it was meaningless. It was like chasing after wind in his life. He said, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't fill it up. And now he's looking back in his life and he's writing his memoirs. He's writing a book to say, hey, don't do it like I did it because I know what it means to leave all that satisfies. I know what it means to leave God out of my life for large portions of my life. And he says to you and to me, it's just not worth it. Don't do it. 
He says, even in the middle of this very meaningless existence that we have, he says, you better figure out a way to put God in the middle of it all or you will find yourself wanting more. You will find yourself in need. You will find yourself shallow of soul if you don't get this right. And so now we're in chapter three. We're near the end of chapter three. And and I would love it if you had a Bible, if you could find it in the Bible, or if you have a smartphone or an iPad, if you could find uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three and follow along with me, I would really, really appreciate that very, very much. Solomon is speaking to us and he's looking back and all of a sudden he turns his attention to some of the injustices in our world. He, he looks around and he, he sees that the world doesn't operate right, that there's something deeply broken in our world. Anybody else ever notice this? <laughs> and, and so he starts to write some of his grievances. He starts to share some of the things that bother him that he hates in this world. And we're going to make a couple of observations about the injustices that Solomon is going to speak about. And if you're the note-taking kind of person, you may want to write this down. Because the very first thing that we're going to learn through Solomon's observation is, is this, is that the injustices of this world, they should move us to humility. The injustices of this world, they should move us to humility. Let me just say it like this, that when you see the brokenness of this world, you should reflect deeply about how God has cared for you in in spite of all the brokenness, how God comes along and he nurtures you and that God has not forgotten us. It should move you to realize that you aren't in control of this world. It should move you to humility. You should have a humble heart to realize that you can't shape everything that you want to shape. In, in your life. And so here's how Solomon starts it in verse 16. He says it like this. He says, furthermore, I have seen under the sun, and he talks about this phrase, under the sun. We've talked about it every week where he says, if you keep your mind and your eyes down here on earth where everything is like low, right? Where everything is falling apart. He says, you're going to end up broken. You're going to end up uh, with a very bent, skewed uh, kind of Uh, nihilistic view of life if you keep your eyes down here under the sun. But he says, as I've looked under the sun, as I've looked at all these things, in the place of justice, he says, there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. So Solomon begins to air some of his thoughts, right? His grievances, his observations of the world. And it gets very discouraging because he declares that under the sun, this world is upside down. Where wicked things win, And righteous things lose. He's speaking of this idea of the courts, right? That that we even go to court to make things right, to find justice in this world. But he says, in the place of, of righteousness, I only find wickedness. In the very places where they should make things right, it's only wrong. It's broken. Where innocent people are found guilty and guilty people are found innocent. Where he says, yeah, there are good lawyers, uh, but there are also bad lawyers. And he says, there are good judges, And there are bad judges. And he says it's broken. And friends, this is a hard truth that we have to somehow get our minds around. We have to get a grip on this. Because sometimes, he says this, that bad guys win. And sometimes, good guys suffer. That's just a fact. It's just a fact of life. He says this is what you see in the world. Anybody ever see this? Anybody? How did that guy get there? How did that woman get ahead when I've worked so hard 
and she's so nasty, right? That's just the world we live in. Now, wouldn't it be great if it was different than that? Wouldn't it be great if there was like immediate justice in our world? Like you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and like a mile down the road, their car is like blown up on the side of the road. Wouldn't it be just glory to God? You know, or, or some guy is like a crook and you're in a business deal and you think it's all good, but in the end he ends up shafting you and, and he takes you for everything. Wouldn't it just be awesome if you found out like a week later he files for bankruptcy and he just loses it all? That would be justice, right? Or, or some lady is yelling at you and she's just got a mouth of a sailor and, you know, she's just letting you have it and you find out that she loses all of her teeth that night, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be just great if life worked that way? If justice was immediate, but it wouldn't be so great. What's the problem with that? The problem is, is that sometimes it would be you. Sometimes it would be you. Because if truth be told, I get angry and I'd lose all my teeth by tonight, I get so angry. It's true. It's, it's just true. And sometimes you're the one who is the cause of injustice. Sometimes you're the one who is the disappointment. Sometimes you're the one who is the cause of pain. And Solomon is teaching us that somehow we have to have a humble heart to realize that sometimes it's us. We should be thankful for God's mercy. We should be thankful that God doesn't just snap his judgment out at us, but that he's slow in meting out his justice. He says this, He says that God grants us his mercy and grace and we should be grateful for it. And friends, let me tell you, this should humble us because sometimes we are the ones in need of God's grace. But then Solomon says something else. He says, while while it seems in our world that the bad guys are always winning, he says, I love this. He says, there's a different day coming. Amen? He says, there's a different day coming. Listen to what he says in verse 17. He says, I said to myself, which is an interesting little thing. He's like, whew, I look around the world and I'm just gonna say this to myself. There's gotta be something different than this. You ever look at the world and just say to yourself, it can't be. This just cannot continue like this. And so Solomon's being very introspective. He's being very reflective here. And he says, I said to myself, in due season, listen, in due season, listen, in due season, God will judge everyone. Listen, both good and bad for all of their deeds. He says there's a different day coming where God is going to make all things right, where God's going to bring all things to bear in in our life. Solomon informs us that God will, will judge, and sometimes it's in this life, but sometimes it's in the next. But there is a day coming that all the wrongs will be made right. All the, those who've gone unrewarded in this life Listen, they will be rewarded because there's a different day coming. And friends, let me tell you something. This should humble us because because sometimes we've gotten away with things. Sometimes the injustices of our life have gone unseen. But he says there's a different day coming and this should humble us. Matter of fact, in the end, it says that, that God will stand in judgment over all things, that Jesus will stand, the creator will stand in front of all of mankind, everybody who's ever breathed the breath, 
and will judge their deeds, good and bad. And I don't say this to scare anybody or to go, oh, that's that hellfire and brimstone style church. Not at all. It's just that we know one day everything in this world will be judged. Everything. As a matter of fact, here's what the scripture says. It says it in the book of Psalms, chapter 37. It says, the wicked plot against the righteous and they gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. Isn't that incredible? Because he's like, yeah, I see your little plan. I see what you're doing. You think you're winning the game. You think you got it all together. But one day, he says, one day. And it says that the Lord laughs at this. For he knows that their day is coming. He knows that their day is coming. Justice will be carried out either in this life or in the life to come. But we got a problem with this because we don't like it when the bad guy gets away. We don't like it. Amen? We want him caught. It actually, it's, it's true. It's, it's funny. Uh, do you guys remember Paul, Paul Harvey? You younger people are missing life, man. Paul Harvey was on the radio, and he, t- he told these stories, right? He was an incredible kind of a news commentator, newscaster kind of guy. And he just told stories and that illustrated how life really works, right? And he was very cunning, very winsome, uh, incredible guy. And uh, so he tells a story about a thief, a common thief, a robber who was arrested for, for robbery and he's in California courtroom of Judge Armando Rodriguez. True story. And he's standing in front of the judge and he tells the judge, he'd been in prison before and he didn't want to go back to prison. He tells the judge, he goes, judge, can I have a second to go to the restroom? I need to use the restroom and then we can do this whole deal. And the judge was very gracious and gave him a moment to go to the restroom. True story. The, the, the officers, they escorted the guy out of the courtroom and into the restroom and they stood outside the door while the guy was in there doing his deal. And uh, he was in there for a little while. You know, and then a little while longer. Well, the problem is, is this man, his name was Tyndale. Uh, uh, the, Gary Tyndale was the, the robber. And Gary's in the restroom and he decides, I'm not going back to jail. Ever. I'm just not going. And so he decides to escape from the bathroom. He climbs the pipes that were above the toilet. It was an older courtroom. He he climbs the the pipes and he pushes some ceiling tile out of the way. He gets himself up into the ceiling grid tile and and he starts scooting along. He got about 30 feet. He got about 30 feet. No one wants the criminal to get away with it. Apparently he doesn't because... He's 30 feet into this deal, and all of a sudden, the ceiling panels give way, and he falls through the ceiling panels down to the floor. Guess where he lands? Five feet in front of the judge. Five feet, right? Uh, You see, friends, listen. When the guilty seem to have escaped judgment, it's only for a short moment or maybe a short crawl, right? Because eventually, everything will be laid bare before God. And friends, again, this should humble us. All the scales will be be balanced. Every wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be corrected. You see, friends, the only hope for any justice in our lives is ultimately is to know that one day God will make all things right. And Solomon, he, he, he reminds himself of this. Right, And he reminds you and me of this. And then he turns the corner and he brings his eyes back to earth. He says, okay, one day up there, out there, it will be made right. But then he brings it back down to the things under the sun. And listen to this. This is a very interesting thing. He actually shares kind of a life principle with us. He says that injustice reminds us that we are mortal. 
The injustices of this world remind us that we are mortal. Because listen to what he says, starting in verse 18. Uh, Very interesting. He says, I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. This is very discouraging stuff, right? For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people really have no advantage over the animals. How meaningless is this? Both go to the same place they came from, from dust to dust and from dust they return. Uh, for, for who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of the animals go down into the earth? Now, that's real encouraging stuff, isn't it? Right? Um, Solomon is not making, by the way, a blanket comparison between humanity and the animal kingdom. He's not doing that at all. That's not the, whole, not the point of it all. His whole point is that you and I, we are mortal. And that the injustices of this world remind us that we're going to die just like the animals. And so you could be successful. You could be smart. You can be powerful. You can be talented. You can be personable. You can be wealthy. You could have it all going on. But one day, he says, just like Fluffy the cat or Rough the dog or whatever it is, he says, you're going to die just like your pet gerbil. You're going to die just like, very discouraging, isn't it? And Solomon is, what's he doing here, friends? He's making this very personal. He's saying oftentimes, listen, oftentimes justice does not come in your lifetime. Not even your justice. Not just the injustices out there, but even in your own life. You'll live a whole lifetime with wrongs that will never be made right. You will even die just like the animals. Now, let me ask you this. Ever been wrongly accused? Anybody in the room of anything? Did it cost you something? It could have cost you a job. It could have cost you a friendship, maybe even a marriage or something like that. Have you ever gone maybe through a divorce, anybody, where you just walked away going, I'm the innocent one. And she's taken everything. She's taken me to the cleaners, right? Maybe, have you ever been like in a business partnership and, and you thought you were doing the right thing and you were trusting and you thought it was a 50-50 kind of a deal only to find out that you were handed the raw end of a stick and you've spent a long time trying to make justice over this? Solomon is saying, some of you are even gonna go to your grave your personal grave with great injustices in your life and it's gonna be frustrating to you. It's gonna hurt you deeply. It's gonna disappoint you deeply. But look at what he says next. He says, don't forget though that it can be different. It can be different than this. There's a different day coming because look at what he says at the end of chapter three, verse 22. Very, very interesting. He, he says, and I saw that there is nothing better for people to, than to be what? Happy. He says, I saw that there is nothing better for people to do than to be happy in their work. For that is our lot in life. And no one can bring you back to see what happens after we die. Very discouraging. This guy's like a bundle of joy, isn't he? Um, But I love this verse. And I I checked out this verse because when I was reading this, I I had trouble getting my mind around it. He, He says, I want you to figure out how to be happy in the middle of all the misery of life. Go ahead. Try. He says, I want you to figure out. So I thought, maybe there's something different we got to know about this word happy here. What does it really mean? So I, I studied it. I, I, true, I, I looked up the Hebrew. I looked up the lexicon, you know, crosswords. I even looked up the Aramaic, you know, derivative of this word. I did the whole deal. And I, I discovered something 
incredibly profound with this word happy in this verse. You want to know what it is? This is amazing. It's life-changing. You see, when he says, I know the misery and I know the injustices of life and the best thing that you can do is figure out how to be happy in the middle of it all, guess what he means? Happy. That's it. There's no getting around. I wanted to get around it. I wanted to figure out something else, but there's nothing else to get around. He literally says, I want you to figure out how to be happy, happy, happy. That's what I want you to do. And friends, that is no easy task, is it? But he says, you've got to figure this out because this is your lot in life. In other words, he says, toil is always going to be with you. Disappointment is always going to be with you. So you've got to figure out in the middle of it all, how to be happy. And you remember the whole time he's been saying, if you look down here under the sun, you'll never find happiness. You will never find joy. It will never be enough. You'll have moments of happiness down here, but you've got to look somewhere above the sun. You've got to look somewhere else. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on eternity in order to find this joy that will carry you through life. Amen? You hear what he's saying? And so in some ways... I think this this Solomon guy is saying that whatever you think about your life, he says, think about all the injustices people incur. And he says, it could be worse for you. Think about this. Is this true? I mean, we think this, right? We look at what's going on in our life and we think it could be worse. It could be worse. And Solomon is saying, yeah, it could be worse. So you figure out how to find joy in the middle of it all. But here's the problem with that, is that we're, when we're in the middle of struggle, when we're in the middle of our disappointment, when we're in the middle of our injustice, the, the problem is, is that it's ours. The problem is, is that it's cutting deep into our life, that it's hurting our life right here, right now. And we want answers for this. And Solomon says, you may never know the answer in your lifetime. There are some things that you are just going to have to learn to live with. And in the middle of that living, you need to figure out a way of trusting God. You're going to have to figure out a way to find happiness and joy that is rooted somewhere else. Somewhere else. Other than this world. You hearing me, friends? This is so important. Are you all getting this? So we started off saying that Solomon gives us two observations about life. And the first one is that injustices should lead us to humility. And this should make us humble a heart that when we realize that we can't control all of life, should make us humble of heart. But he also says this. We're going to learn that. He says that this oppression in this world, the injustices of our world, they should also move us to action that we shouldn't stay in one place, that when we see the injustices and the oppressions of our world, that we should be willing to engage our world, that we should love our world enough to do something about it. Because this world, let me, let me tell you something, friends, this world matters to God. And it ought to matter to us. Amen? You see, friends, men and women, they experience oppression in all kinds of ways of life. They experience it in business. They experience it through government, through marriage, through family, through relationships, through church even. Because listen, wherever there's power, power is often abused. And we're going to see that Solomon begins to make this case that there is oppression in this world. And And somehow, in some way, he doesn't understand it all, but that God is stirring us to move, to, to have action against it. 
So flip over to chapter 4 really quick. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to read what Solomon observes. Very interesting. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. He's looking around. He says, you know, anybody, by the way, notice any of the oppression under the sun? Not much has changed, right? You look around our world. It's pretty dark, isn't it? Not much has changed in 3,000 years. But he says... Again, I've observed all of the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and and no one to what? Comfort them. No one's doing anything about it. No one's lifting a finger. No one even seems to care. So I concluded that the deeds, excuse me, that the dead are better off than the living, but but most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born. How depressing is that, right? He says, but most fortunate are those that not, are not even born. Then I observed that the most people, moti- or, excuse me, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Uh, but the most fortunate are those who are not yet born, for they have not yet seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Again, not too encouraging. But Solomon is, is trying to shake us. He's trying to, to motivate us. He's trying to stir something in us. He, he uses this word oppressed. He uses three different forms of this word oppressed just in three little verses. And he's, and he's using this strong language to, 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 to stir something inside of us, to shake something inside of us, to make us realize that the oppression around us that we see is not from God. And that you and I ought to do something about it. And friends, I, I bet that, that Solomon was feeling pretty ticked off when he, you can even just sense it in his writing, right? He's starting to get pretty ticked off about the oppression that he sees, the injustices that he sees in this world. And my guess is that there's some of us, when we see what goes on in our world, we get pretty ticked off too, amen? Anybody? You ever just get stirred to anger? You just want to, I wish I could do something about that. I mean, I, I was watching the news this week. This is crazy. I saw this video, somebody captured this on film, it's crazy, where the school bully, maybe you saw this, uh, the school bully had grabbed a blind kid. A high school kid grabbed another high school kid who was blind and was holding him by the collar and he was mocking him while punching him in the face. A blind kid. Now when you hear that, what rises up inside of you? Some of you are going, I want to teach that kid a lesson like right now. Anybody? You know exactly what I'm feeling. Well, it's amazing because in this video, it it captured it all how this football player at the same school happened to be walking by and really quickly he understood the situation and he literally just in a moment's notice, he walks in, kind of grabs the bully, turns him and clocks him. I mean, just lays this kid out cold on the cement. And part of us, we go, woo, kid got what was coming to him. That's justice if I've ever seen justice right there, right? Now, listen, this is crazy to me. I I might be wrong about this. I don't know. But I followed up on this story a little bit. This blows my mind. They took the kid who played on the football team, who I thought was kind of the hero of the story. They expelled him from school, and they kicked him off the football team for the season because of a zero tolerance. I'm thinking, I might be wrong about this, but I'm thinking the kid did the right thing. I'm thinking the kid did what, what any decent human being would do at that moment. But when you look at life, oppression is supposed to 
to raise something inside of you. It's supposed to stir something inside of you. If you are a follower of Christ, it's supposed to mean something to you. When you look at the world, um, you, you think of oppression like being in, like in the Middle East, right? But if you do any research at all, oppression is everywhere in our world. It's everywhere. We live a very insulated life here in America. I just did a little research this week. It'll blow your mind. According to Amnesty International, there is an estimated 100,000 Christians being imprisoned today and tortured at the hands of the ruthless Kim Jong-ul, the guy uh, who's a dictator of North Korea, communist dictator of North Korea. Listen to this. This will blow your mind. There are an estimated, they say, 400,000 Christians in North Korea. We're 100,000 of them are in prison camps right now. One, two, three, you're gone. One, two, three, you're gone. You think about that. That's the world that we live in. Have you been keeping up with the Middle East at all? What's going on with ISIS and the the Muslim terrorist type of organizations over there? And it's not just ISIS, but it's everywhere. A couple weeks ago, and you can Google this, this will blow your mind. This group of savages took 72 children and with television cameras rolling, butchered them. And here's why. Because simply they were Christian kids. Because they were from Christian families. They have killed tens of thousands of people, mostly Christians and Yazidis. They, they, they've displaced millions of people from their homes. Have you been following what's going on in Europe because of the flood of, uh, of uh, refugees out of the Middle East into Europe? Millions of people have literally packed what little they can carry and are walking out of the Middle East just because they, they're so afraid of their, for, their, for their very lives. And this is the kind of world that we live in. This is the kind of oppression. Have you seen this? Have you been keeping up with this? It's unbelievable. But we live in America with our little insulated little world and we're happy, happy, happy people because we got it so good. What's on television? You know, when you think about oppression, think about our nation's past. It's unbelievable that, that as Americans, we oppress people because of the, the color of their skin. And friends, long after slavery was outlawed, we still oppressed people. Um, recently, as a church, and my family even, we watched that movie called Selma with Martin Luther King Jr. How he fought to end segregation in America. And I thought to myself, how crazy is this? What kind of world do we live in when, when American people would oppress somebody else, would segregate them just based on the color of their skin? What an atrocity. What, a, what an injustice in our world. And, and what's worse than that, uh, I was reading about this this week, that up until the late 1960s, do you realize that Christian Bible colleges and Christian seminaries oftentimes would not allow black people in their institutions? Unbelievable. Oppression breaks the heart of God and it ought to break our heart. It ought to move us to action. It ought to stir us to do something in this world. You you think about all the oppressors of this world. Um, You think about the idea, the oppression of poverty in our world. Just think about this for a moment, the the oppression of poverty. Um, We're not rich by any means living here in Down River. We're not like high society around here. I get it, okay? But we're not poor either. I mean, you do the research on this, two billion people live on $2 a day or less. How is that even possible? I mean, you think about the kids born into that, to that world. 
What are their odds for any kind of success in life at all? That, that's a, oppression at a whole different level. And if you were to track through the pages of scripture from beginning to end, you will see that God's heart is broken over poverty. God's heart is broken over oppression. God's heart is broken over injustice. And friends, it ought to break our heart. It ought to. We ought to be motivated to do something about it. You think about even the poor in our country. It's very interesting. I was doing a little research this week. 35% of all Americans live on less than $25,000 a year. Now, that's a lot more than $2 a day, but living in America for $25,000 a year, that's a tough road. 28% of all households, 28% of all households in America live on less than $25,000 a year. And let me tell you something. I get it. A lot of that is because of laziness. Fine. No, I am against laziness. If you know me at all, I am not lazy. I get my kid out of bed in the morning. I mean, laziness will ruin a human being. I get it. But it's not all because of laziness. Many of these people were born into a family, into a world that was so dysfunctional that they'll never be able to figure out which way's up without some help. A lot of these people are trying to recover from from, from some pretty bad things done to them or maybe some stupid things that they've even done in their life and they're trying now to get it right and they're trying now for a new direction. But it is hard to rebuild your life sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it? It's hard. And we just look our own way, we just look our own direction thinking it's all okay as long as it doesn't affect my little family. But when you look at these rea- uh, realities, uh, our temptation is to say, what do we do? What can we do? We can't fix everything. And you're right, we can't fix everything. It's God's job to fix it all. Let me tell you something. God expects us to do something. He expects our hearts to be burdened. He expects our hearts to be stirred. He expects us to move to action. Amen? You hear me, friends? He expects this. I saw a little uh, cartoon uh, recently where there was two turtles, and they were talking, two turtles, in this little cartoon and one turtle asked the other tur- uh, said to the other turtle, sometimes, he says, sometimes I wish I could ask God, um, why does he allow such injustices and poverty in our world, and why doesn't he do something about it? And then the other turtle says, yeah, I don't think I want to ask God that because he might ask me the same thing. In other words, you do something about it. You do something about it. You know, you think about this and some of us in this room we have been abused some of us in this room you've gone through some terrible things in your life and and you think man I got a, a bunch of excuses but friends I want you to know listen listen that the things that you've gone through God has used broken people to do some of the greatest things that this world has ever known God has used people who, have, who seemingly have been down and out to, to literally shake our world and to stir something new in our world. God seems to be in the specialty business of using broken people. As a matter of fact, there's a lady, you may have heard of her, her name is Candy Leitner, Leitner and she founded MAD after her little daughter, uh, MAD is the mother of drunk drivers, back in 1980, her little daughter Carrie was killed by a repeat drunk driving offender. And she had enough. And she says, I am going to do something about it. And Matt has been instrumental in, in trying to stem the tide of drunken, drunken impaired driving in our country. It's saved literally thousands and thousands of lives. Have you heard of a guy named John Walsh? Anybody? John Walsh and his wife, Reva. Um, they suffered one of the most horrendous things a parent could ever suffer. 
um, from a Sears department store, their little six-year-old boy, Adam, was taken, repeatedly molested, and then murdered by a serial killer when he was just six years old. Devastating. And John Walsh said, I'm going to do something about this. And he committed the rest of his life to helping victims of crime. And he started a little show called America's Most Wanted. Ever see it? And it has been instrumental in, in capturing literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of violent criminals and has brought justice to thousands of families in America. You see, God is in the business of loving the oppressed world. Do you see, friends? Listen, at the end of the day, we are told to do something. But Solomon sees all this, right? He, he looks at all the oppression and he says, wow, people just are like, it's, it's broken out there. And look at what he does. He looks at the reaction of people like you and me. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 4, verses five, uh, 4 and 5. He says, then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless. He, he begins to look and he says, you know what? People just look at all this stuff. They don't even care about it. He says, all this stuff I just talked about, it. all they care about is getting more stuff for themselves. And he says, this is meaningless. He says, I don't understand this at all. How people can see the same brokenness that I see in this world and they don't care at all. And he says, it should not be. He says it's meaningless. It's like chasing wind. And he says fools fold their hand, leading them to ruin. Solomon is starting to question our motivations. He's saying most of us seem concerned about our own little well-being. And we don't care at all about the world. We can't fold our hands and do nothing, friends. It is distinctly Christian. Listen, it is distinctly Christian to love a broken world around us. It is distinctly Christ's life to, to like to get into the game, to do something to heal this world. It is distinctly for followers of Jesus to make this world better and to care about our world. Amen? It is what he has called us to. Look around. He says, see the oppression of our world and don't sit there and fold your hands and do nothing. He says, get in the game. He says, get in the game. If you spend any time with children, uh, you'll know that, uh, you'll hear them say, that isn't fair. You ever hear a kid say that, that isn't fair? And there's something about it. Like kids internally know they're created in God's image. They internally know that when someone takes their toy and whacks them over the head with it, there's a problem with that. And so they cry out, that isn't fair. And when the big kid pushes the little kid into the mud, they just distinctly know, inherently know that this isn't fair. But then somewhere along the way, we grow up and we stop saying this isn't fair and we start saying life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Get used to it. Well, I don't want to get used to it. I want to do something about it. And friends, um, this is why Lynette and I, this is why we're committed to the local church. People say, well, I don't have to go to church to make the world different or be, go to church to be a Christian. No, no, no. Listen, this is one of the reasons I go to church and this is one of the reasons we give our money to this church. It's because we can pull together 
and take some things that are broken and we can fix them together, things that I couldn't do on my own. Do you realize this? I can't, I can't help Africa on my own, but together we can do something in Africa to make a difference. I can't help Haiti on my own, but I can give some money along with all of you and we can actually get some resources together and go do something in Haiti together. We can go to Nicaragua together and we can go to Detroit together. Listen, we can pool our resources. This is why I love the local church because we can pool our resources and we can, we can put on a youth program that reaches 500 families a week. Come on. This is why we do it. Because life isn't fair and we want to do something about it. But we go, well, well, I just wish uh, that God would come and just make it all right. I just wish that God would somehow, you know, just fix all this. Why doesn't God fix all this? You ever thought that? Be careful what you wish for. Friends, be careful what you wish for. Because if God was to make all the evil go away in this world, think about what that would mean. It would mean making a whole bunch of people who we love, who have not turned their hearts toward God, it would make them go away too. Think about this. Why doesn't God fix it? Why doesn't God just bring righteousness and judgment to the world right now? Be careful what you wish for because it is God's mercy. It is God's mercy that he doesn't do this. Because one day, he will bring righteousness. One day, it will all change. As a matter of fact, this is what the scripture says. It says that God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who, are, who troubled you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from the heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, they will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. And to be marveled at and among all those who have believed. In other words, Jesus is coming one day and he's going to put it all to an end. But think about what that would mean right now for you. Think about what that would mean for your family. Here's what he's doing. Do you really want to know why he's not bringing it all to an end? It is because God is merciful. He is gracious He is long-suffering, not just with the sin that's out there in the world, but with my sin. He is gracious toward me. Here's what he says in in, in 2 Peter. This is why, why he's waiting so long. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Listen, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you see it, friends? God is patiently enduring the suffering of this world because he's got a different agenda than you and I have. You see, our agenda is to make the bad go away, to make evil just go away. God will do that one day. But first, he's got a different agenda. And that is to bring salvation to this world. He's patient so that people will come to know him. He's patient so that you and I have time to get our act together and make this world different, to bring the light. You see, we're supposed to give them a cup of water. We're supposed to quench their thirst. But we're also supposed to give them rivers of living water. 
You see, friends, we're supposed to give them something to eat, but we are also supposed to give them the bread of life that comes from knowing God and his word. You see, we're supposed to alleviate suffering in this world, but eternal suffering as well. And friends, I am so grateful for God and his mercy toward us. When he looks down at this world, he could say, I'm done, I'm through with you people. And he would have every right to do that. Starting with me. But in his great mercy, his heart breaks over humanity. And he says, just a little more time. A little more time. Injustice ought to move us to humility. We're not better than this world. We need to be grateful for God's mercy in our life. And the injustices and the oppression of our world ought to move us to action, to get in the game, to do something about the brokenness of our world. Amen? Amen. Father, we come... And uh, we just bow before you for a moment, admitting that we have, whew, we've screwed up our world. There's just a lot of brokenness. And God, I can't even imagine how it grieves your heart. Because we are your children. We are your creation. And you love this world. And so, Father, I pray for our little church right here in Down River. I pray, God, that we would not be uh, content, that we would not have apathy, God, that we would be stirred deep in our souls to get involved with what really counts in this world, that we would build the kingdom with you, God, that we would be about your work here on earth. And, God, that we wouldn't get all wrapped up in small stuff. Yep, we are to figure out how to enjoy life and be happy in it. But there is more to do than just play a round of golf or to watch another ball game, to enjoy another ice cream. God, stir something in us. Use this little church we call Metro. God, use this place. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.